This is 63% Scottish, a Scotland appreciation podcast. Yes, hello and welcome to 63% Scottish. My name is Eamon O'Flynn and I am your host. In this podcast, I've promised to really get at the areas of Scottish history and culture that most people with Scottish heritage don't interact with on a daily basis. The spice of Scottish life. The lived experiences that you might only find in Scotland. You'll agree that this podcast delivered in our conversation with Cognac MacLeod about the Isle of Lewis. Unless you grew up there, it's hard to know what it's like to grow up there. The Outer Hebrides are the low-hanging fruit of the unknown due to their relative remoteness. Today's topic is a bit of a stretch. I'd bet that everyone listening to this episode has heard of whiskey, for example. In fact, my suspicion is that a lot of you have even consumed whiskey in various quantities. I know I have. So what could you possibly learn in this episode of 63% Scottish? I can give you the basics. Distillation came to Scotland in the 15th century. The first evidence of whiskey production in Scotland comes from the Exchequer Rolls in 1495, where it is referred to as aqua vitae, which translates to water of life. There are five whiskey regions in Scotland, Campbelltown, Highland, Isla, Lowland, and Speyside. Each region has a unique character, but each bottle can also be substantially different. They're offered in single malt, single cask, and blended, but I don't feel confident in explaining the differences. Last but not least, Scottish people are rarely happy with someone calling it Scotch. It's whiskey. But this show is about more than the descriptive. When we talked about William Wallace, it wasn't to deliver a history lesson. You can find that elsewhere. It was to understand his legacy and place in modern Scotland. This episode about whiskey is the same. Why is Scotland such a whiskey nation? Has it always been? What does that even mean? Where do modern Scots get their drams? Can you mix your whiskey? I mean your good whiskey, or is that blasphemy? You see, there are plenty of questions about whiskey's continued importance in Scotland. And I found the perfect person to provide the answers. Rosalind Erskine is the food and drink editor at The Scotsman. She writes food and drink stories, telling her readers about new breweries or brewing techniques, great restaurants, and of course, she writes plenty about whiskey and distilleries. Rosalind is also the host of the Scran podcast, where she talks to chefs, distillers, restaurateurs, and famous people about Scottish food culture. It's a great podcast. I recommend everyone go check it out if you're really interested in food. This year, she also helped launch the Scotsman Scran Awards, which celebrate everything from the best spirit to the best gastropub to the Scottish chef of the year. The aforementioned Mr. McLeod won Scottish Food and Drink Influencer of the Year for his work as the Hebridean baker. I think you'll agree that Rosalind sounds like the perfect person for the subject, so I've asked her to tell me in about 25 minutes as much as she can about whiskey in Scotland today. Enjoy. Okay, let's talk about you first. So how did you get into food journalism? Is it something you always wanted to do? Um, well, it kind of happened sort of by accident. So um, I studied communication and mass media at a university in Glasgow. And um, I knew I wanted to use my degree, but I happened to graduate at a time, um, well, during the financial crisis. So it wasn't a, it was quite a long time ago now. But um, yeah, so the, the goal was to just kind of get a job within some kind of media. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And, you know, I knew it was going to be quite difficult given the circumstances. 
but I luckily got a job in a magazine, um, a women's interest magazine in Glasgow, um, which unfortunately shut down because of circumstances. But that kind of got me more into writing. I knew I always liked writing, but it was more the sort of lifestyle side of journalism. Um, so that that shut down because you know financial crash. Um, and I then freelanced for a bit. Got a job in another women's uh, lifestyle magazine. So this was um, women's lifestyle kind of journalism. A lot of it was homes and interiors based. So a lot of it was going to look at nice people's houses, interview them about mm-hmm. interiors, speak to interior designers. So there wasn't really a food and drink element to that at the time. Um, I ended up down in London. I went out to Dubai, again, continuing working on women's lifestyle magazines. And it wasn't until I got my job at the Scotsman, which was about six years ago, that I moved into food and drink. So they hired me at the same time as they hired a guy who was very into politics. Um, so we kind of balanced each other out. And mm-hmm. I was asked almost straight away to help the food and drink editor, Sean, um, help with the website. So that was the point where the kind of skills I had writing for you know women's lifestyle, um, that sort of general broad area kind of got honed in on food and drink. Um, and it's been, that's kind of my, been my main focus for the last six years. So it wasn't something that I kind of set out to do. Um, it was more just like a real want to go off and, and use my degree at a time when, it was even more difficult than usual to get into journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. I, I also remember that exact moment. I was coming out of school sometime around there, and uh, and yes, it was not easy uh, in Canada either. So your fantastic podcast uh, has featured Sam Hewn, Oz Clark, and our friend the Hebridean Baker. I'm not even going to attempt his name at this exact moment, just because I, I've I've just destroyed it multiple times uh, in in editing trying to trying to set up his his episode. How did Scran get its start? Um, so it was 2019 and um, Google had given some money to um, the, the owners of the Scotsman um, at the time where JPI Media um, was Johnson Press. They gave some money to that company and um, a company called Reach, which owns um, the Daily Record, the Mirror, so kind of, sort of more tabloid side of things. They gave us money to come together to create a podcasting project called Laudable. And within that, we were um, to come up with ideas for podcasts that might help reach parts of our audience that wouldn't necessarily engage with the papers. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we researched it, we realised that there wasn't really at the time a podcast for Scottish Food and Drink. Um, So along with the guys in video, um, we came up with a proposal for Scranton, which is a Scottish word for food. Um, and we took it to a training session and the woman running the training session who was quite you know well versed in podcasting thought it was a great idea Um, we didn't necessarily have to make it very niche because it's quite a wide subject but there wasn't a lot of competition there Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah we went off and at the time we thought oh we'll go and interview chefs we'll go and visit farms we'll go to distilleries and then obviously it was the end of 2019 and then we had to become very well versed with zoom and and the online (laughs) chat so (laughs) yes yeah, that's uh, and and the episodes have been fantastic. I've I've listened to a, a bunch of them and just uh, very very fun conversations. Very different people, and it, it really depends on who you have on the show. It's a, it it can be a very different episode. Uh, and yeah, I was going to ask you about Scran because it's not a word that we use at all in Canada, really. And so I I assumed it went food. I did. I purposely didn't look it up before <laughs> before talking to you, but. Uh, but yeah, so is it just a just kind of a, a colloquial term for for food? Is that pretty much yeah? Like going to get some scran is like you know going to get some food. I mean, it's it's also the northeast of England use it as as well. Um, and at one point during uh, 
work, one of the editors in the Northeast was trying to sort of co-opt it for them launching a podcast. And I said, no, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> so, uh... I, I, And honestly, when, when I was looking, I was saying, okay, I want to talk to someone about food. And I, I was like, who has podcasts about Scottish food? And you're right. It's not there. Even now, it's not exactly a, a saturated market. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, and yours very much sticks out. So it's um, which is great. It is obviously the ideal uh, on your podcast. You talk about whiskey a lot. Uh, it's, it's probably the, the subject of 50 percent of the episodes. Uh, <laughs> I want to say I'm not sure if that's a. Um, overstating it, but where does your love of whiskey come from? Um, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of whiskey episodes, which the producer keeps telling me it's it's called Scram. We need to do more food. <laughs> um, so my love of whiskey comes from from my job. So I I my first experience of whiskey, I was probably about 16 um, at a distillery, um, and I should say they, you know, they probably now don't give whiskey to 16 year olds. Um, mm. And I didn't particularly like it. Um, it was quite strong, but it kind of came with the territory in this job that. Um, the my former colleague Sean, who used to do my job, he, his family owned a really well known whiskey bar in Glasgow, and he always had samples, and he would let us try them. And I kind of got to to get to know it more through him, and then you know he went out to distilleries, um, and the whiskey that kind of got me into whiskey was Glengoyne Twenty One Year Old, so it's like a really smooth, um, it's a Highland style, so it's quite light, um, it's not cheap, um, it's quite old, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, Twenty One, yeah. Yeah, I, I I kind of to say that was the kind of light bulb moment for me where I thought I, I could see myself drinking this. And then just through work, I've, you know, I've just developed my love of it. And I just I find the industry really interesting. It's really, really interesting welcoming people. Um, there's always a story to be told. And um, yeah, there's so many episodes just because it's in, in quite a big you know boom period just now lots of things are happening new releases new distilleries being built old distilleries coming back and so many interesting people to talk to but yeah we probably need to rein it back in and start concentrating more on food <laughs> well do do what you love right that's the you know if, if you enjoy it uh yeah and i do think i'm very um i jealous I'd, I'd maybe say of of just Scotland is a relatively small country and there are a lot of distilleries. And when I think about the equivalent in Canada, there just isn't. We have a lot of breweries and, and everything. But if you're talking about, you know, rye whiskey in Canada, it's not really the the distilleries are quite large. They're quite industrial and they're kind of there's only a handful of them. So it's it's not a it's not something you can easily say, I'm going to go to this one. <laughs> I'm going to pop over here now. Uh but what what do you think? I, I'm kind of curious about this. What do you think when non-Scots refer to it as Scotch? Is that a thing where you're like, ah, come on? Or no, I think it's fine. Like it's probably one of the few things that um, Scotch is fine. Um, I know there was some kind of big debate around the women that wrote Outlander and between something a while ago, and she wasn't necessarily factually correct, but using the word Scotch. But I mean, I don't think many people here would call it that but I don't really have a problem no. with that because it is you know factually correct it is scotch whiskey um but yeah I, I don't mind <laughs> yeah I was I was thinking about it before this because we we would just say rye we wouldn't even say rye whiskey we wouldn't say bourbon you know bourbon whiskey um and so we always say scotch or Irish whiskey mm-hmm. uh but uh but yeah it kind of I I had a a chat with someone earlier for this podcast where I referred to it uh, offhand as scotch and he corrected me, no, it's whiskey. We call it whiskey. And I was like, okay, okay. But I also, in a different episode, accidentally called football soccer one time and that didn't go well either. 
that's um, well, that's fine. Um, for me, I, my my boyfriend works for an American company, so I'm constantly surrounded by this kind of lingo, yeah. and it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one thing I've learned from your podcast is that single cask whiskey is a more recent phenomena, even in Scotland. But single malts and blends have been around for a very long time. For listeners who know nothing about whiskey, can you describe the difference between a single cask, a single malt, and a blended whiskey? Um, yeah, so a single cask is a whiskey that comes from um, one single cask from one single distillery. So they generally tend to get um, a limited number of bottles and it will have its one distinct taste and then once it's gone, it's gone. Um, a single malt whiskey is a whiskey from one single distillery and they can be made and usually are made by a marriage of different casks, which is mean like they just sort of mix together different casks. And if it's so, if it's a core release, they need to have the same taste every time. So it's almost like a recipe, but the whiskey is only from that one distillery. Mm-hmm. And whereas a blend is um, a blend of lots of different whiskeys from lots of different distilleries and can also include like, grain whiskeys and things. So it doesn't have to be you know, single malt. So yeah, blends are generally thought to be more um, accessible, cheaper. They were made um, right up and I mean, they're still predominantly the thing that is made most. Um, mm-hmm. Single malts obviously come back into fashion, but quite a lot of the single malt will still go into blends. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's kind of as it would seem in the name, although single malt is just whiskey from one single distillery. Yeah, and a, examples of uh, blended would be uh, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, uh, yeah, it's huge. It tends um, to... uh, famous Grouse. Um, I just think um, Chivas Regal is a blend. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. okay yeah and then the others the, the others it's often distilleries will have a it's it's relatively common to have a single cask and a single malt if you're like Lafroig or or something along those those lines correct yeah yeah uh, yeah quite a lot of distilleries of a certain size will do single malt and um, single cask and more and more now are bringing out sort of single cask for maybe festival bottling so spirits face side mm-hmm. or face and i love they'll, they'll do like a single cask um, and the Scotch Whiskey Society as well, that's all um, cast strength, which is another thing, which is, you know, it's taken from a single cast and bottled at cast strength, which is basically what a single cast would be usually as well. Although some of them can, they can be not as high strength as a, as a single, um, as cast strength. But a lot of the time, if it's a single cast, it will be cast strength, which sounds like I've made it more complicated than it is. <laughs> I do always think, I think it was uh, Sam Hewen when he was talking about it creating his whiskey, I mean, his, which is a blended, but he was, you know, the target, having a target uh, alcohol or, you know, percentage or strength yeah. to to it. And I thought it was very interesting to think about it in those terms because I've, for, for my entire life, gone out and bought a bottle and been like, oh, this one's 46. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I put no thought into this might be a, a choice. Yeah. Uh, what is whiskey's place in Scottish culture and society? Like, would you call Scotland a whiskey nation? Is this something, is it common for people to be consuming whiskey uh, regularly? Um, not to call it, not to call Scottish people drunks. That's not <laughs> what I'm trying to go for here. <laughs> um, so I think, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's people who don't like it and won't touch it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's got its place and pretty common. Like, you know, you can get it in every bar. Most restaurants will have like even just a few whiskeys if you want to have one after your meal. Um, there are whiskey bars, obviously. Um if you drink it, you'll probably have a few bottles at home. So yeah, I think it is a whiskey nation. It's it's maybe not as popular though as um as beer. Um, you know, tenants yeah. is massive here. Um, everywhere. Um, and people do like gin as well now. So it is there and it's got its place. But it's I wouldn't say that 
you know, if you walked into a room with 30 people, all 30 people would love a dram. So yeah. it sort of depends on, on who. It's not a genetic, <laughs> a genetic love of, of whiskey. Uh, but yeah, I, I, while I was thinking about, I was thinking about this with my own experiences. I don't think I've ever actually seen someone consume whiskey at a bar or a pub or anything like that in Canada, apart from someone literally doing shots because they're, they're trying to get, you know, drunk as fast as possible. I don't think I've ever seen someone say, I've finished a meal and now I'd like a whiskey, which is is interesting because um, that's a very that's a big difference uh, and so that's why I was kind of like is this a common thing at a pub or a restaurant in Scotland it sounds like it is yeah I think so I mean um, maybe not every, like maybe not every restaurant but most kind of you know decent sort of maybe higher end restaurants would give you a whiskey there'll be a list of whiskeys or you could ask you know especially if the restaurant's got a bar as well like then it could be anywhere um, and you know if you want one you just ask and they'll, they'll usually have something that you can have um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's quite cool. I mean, I, I do it, but then, you know, I like whiskey. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're, you're sort of the target, yeah. the target market of that. Uh, so I do think that, uh, whiskey is sometimes treated a little bit delicately, especially when something like single cask, you know, the, the implication that to really understand it, you shouldn't mix it with something. Where do you stand on that uh, around mixed drinks and cocktails and, and everything? So I don't mind at all. I think um, I know it's quite an, it's quite a commonly held sort of I would say misconception. Although it's kind of the way it was marketed for years. You know, it was this kind of premium drink. It was always really a, a sort of a man's drink, maybe like an older guy. Um, you only had it neat, or if you you know you, you wanted ice. Some people were a bit funny about that, but I think. You should drink your whiskey whatever way you want to drink your whiskey. Um, if you know if you've got a really expensive one and you want to stick it in a cocktail, that's entirely up to you because you've paid the money for it. And if you like it in a certain way, then you're more than likely going to go out and buy some more. So, a lot of people would kind of balk at that, but I I have no problem. I mean, I I a few summers ago during lockdown had whiskey with um, kind of like a really sweet cream soda. And put it on my Instagram and people were like, some people were like losing their mind, but it was really nice and it was quite a warm day. So, <laughs> Well, as I'd mentioned, I am I am currently partaking of a coffee with whiskey in it. And I, I, I think almost without thinking about it, I grabbed a blended whiskey to put into it uh, because I was I was like, oh, I've got, you know, the, this this single cask or this single malt. And I was like, I can't do that. And I think my brain just, it's been so thoroughly wired by exactly what you're talking about, this idea that, no, you can't possibly do it. It's not allowed. And I think that when I when I first had, well, when I first drank whiskey with any appreciation, because I think in university, I, I drank whiskey with no appreciation for what I was drinking, apart from, from how much alcohol was in it. Uh, but I, I was kind of taught, you know, like a very little, a few drops of water maybe is is the way you do this. Otherwise, don't. But yeah, I think there's there's so many great great drinks that that are whiskey based, and then and you know in in Canada, Ryan Coke is basically like the national <laughs> the, the national cocktail, right? So um, yeah, it's uh it's odd to me sometimes when people get a little bit too delicate over a drink like that. I mean, I think the folks that make it might have be funny if I was to be like, here's a can of Bar's cream soda that I'm putting in your your ten year old whiskey. But I think there yeah. is now a sort of wider appreciation that you know if you're if you're drinking it in the way that you like it you're going to continue to drink it rather than be told you're drinking this wrong and then you'll kind of turn away from it so exactly so if our listeners want to gain a greater appreciation uh for whiskey in scotland what would you recommend they do apart from listening to your podcast of course yes of course listen to my podcast and um, well there's a lot of um 
are, I mean, this is also my work. So the Food and Drink mm-hmm. uh, website for the Scotsman, which is the one that I run, um, which is uh, foodanddrink.scotsman.com. There's lots of articles on there about whiskey, kind of explaining whiskey for beginners, different distillery names, um, different types of whiskies, um, as well as like new releases. But also, if you want to really learn, there's um, the Edinburgh Whiskey Academy um, does courses. They're really good. Um, and the Scotch, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society is like a really nice society of whiskey lovers. They do events, they do food and drink pairings, they do, I mean, most of their whiskies are obviously like cast strength whiskies, but they do blends and stuff as well as like one-off bottlings. Um, they've got bars in Edinburgh and Glasgow, um, but partner bars all over the world. So um, if you're really into whiskey and you want to kind of join a community and taste lots of different things, and I would recommend them as well. Awesome. And before we end, uh, where can our listeners find your work? Uh, you kind of just mentioned it now, <laughs> but where, where where can they find your work? And what do you cover on your podcast? You, you kind of talked about this right off the top, but uh, can you go just give a quick summary of a couple of the subjects you've covered, maybe? Yeah, so um, Scran is, so articles on Scran and how, you know, there's a podcast player that plays Scran on the Finjink Scotsman, so finjink.scotsman.com. Um, we've covered... Um, Gosh, everything. We've spoken to chefs. We've. Um... I've really put you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the last few episodes. I've recorded ones that aren't out yet. So we've um, we've gone to um, recently just been to a really nice garden just outside Edinburgh. This woman's garden. She's on a program here called the Beach Grove Garden. She was talking about how to grow seasonal produce um, and kind of giving gardening tips. Um, we're doing something on unusual produce sold in Scotland so we've spoken to someone who grows chilies um some ladies up in the northeast who grow tea which I thought was quite different for Scotland um um we have we've been on a boat in Edinburgh called Fingal which is parked next parked not parked which is um next to the Royal Yacht Britannia it's like a luxury um former lighthouse vessel so we've spoken to the chef on there about what it's like you know working in small kitchens and you know working on a boat basically um and yeah whiskey um trying to think the last whiskey one we did um I can't remember off the top of my head so it's a whole mix um you know we're we are talking to lots of different people um we're going to be speaking to the Royal Highland show um we've done some partner episodes with Johnny Walker so yeah it's it's basically anything everything you can think about food and drink in Scotland Mm -hmm. All right. And yes, so anyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode at all or learned anything here at all, please, please check out Scran. Please check out Rosalind's writing on The Scotsman. Uh, actually, I should probably say thank you as well for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> That is all for this episode of 63% Scottish. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for 63% Scottish and you'll find us. If you want to help our show keep growing, consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This show is supported through promotional partnerships with the St. Andrews Society of Toronto, the Scottish Society of Ottawa, the St. Andrews Society of Los Angeles, the St. Andrews Society of Winnipeg, the Clans and Scottish Societies of Canada, the Singapore St. Andrews Society, the St. Andrews Society of the State of New York, and Chicago Scots. If you live in any of these places, I encourage you to find out how you can get involved. Links to all of these organizations are in the description for this episode. We also receive promotional support from the Scots Corner page on Facebook and the Center for Scottish Studies at the University of Guelph. 
This show owes a debt of gratitude to the Scottish Banner, the premier publication for Scottish people and those of Scottish heritage in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United States of America. You can find all of our episodes on their website along with short articles on each subject. Again, links are in the episode description. Music in this episode is from Roman Senec Music. Thank you for listening to 63% Scottish. Until next time, cheers and sláinte.